Severe MMA Roundup. I'm your host, Harry Powell. Before we start and get into the content, if you like what you hear in this episode, please consider signing up to the Severe MMA Patreon. It's the price of a pint a month and it really helps the Severe MMA crew keep generating out the content that you know and love. We can't look at this sport and look after this sport, covering this sport the way that we do without your help. So thanks very much. On the schedule this month, we have a plethora of content for you, just like we do every month. In the month of May, we're recapping Shawnee Podcasts Q&A, Hot Topics, Speakers Corners, and The Contender. Let's get right into it. First up, we have an episode of The Hot Topic, where Graham McDonnell and I discuss his reaction to the Marlon Vera performance against Rob Font. Um, as with uh, as with all these hot topics, uh, there are gonna, we're going to be about twenty five minutes, half an hour. We've got three topics that we're going to talk about, and then we'll wrap it up and, and leave you to your day. So the first one is uh, Marlon Vera and Rob Font just had an absolute war. Uh, all went all all five rounds. Marlon Vera came out the winner. What was your initial reaction? After the fight, um, after the fight, um, it was probably you know mostly about the judging. I know it's, it's kind of Sean Sheehan's kind of kind of thing, but I suppose I was going to do the podcast with Sean after I watched it, and I was thinking, oh, this is this is going to turn into a, a judging podcast with Sean. So that was kind of my first thought. But in terms of the actual fight, um, I thought it was absolutely brilliant from Marlon Vera. You know. Uh, like he's a good fighter like we, we we've never kind of said he's not but i think he show he he showed a different level the you know i talked about it on the podcast a little bit with sean you know beating frankie egger is a great win but i think that frankie egger of of like you know a few months ago is not the frankie egger that people will remember or um, nowhere near the peak of his powers it's still a great win it's still a front kick like knockout it's it's brilliant for for Cheeto vera but this rob font he may may not have the name value that um that a Frankie Edgar has, or even that a Sean O'Malley has, but I think we all know how good Rob Font is and how good his striking is, and um, and you know he, he definitely gave uh, Vera problems, and Vera could have could have cracked un- under the pressure and under the the kind of relentlessness of the of the output coming towards him, but he stayed patient and he landed his big shots and he he won the rounds with those big shots. You know these were these were some rounds that might have been going to Rob Font the the second third fourth and fifth that ended up going to Vera like if he hadn't landed those big shots uh, towards the end of those rounds then he he could have lost those rounds and uh, lost the fight that's that's how close it was but I think you know I don't think anybody's really arguing too much about who won that fight you know when somebody's cracked and dropped like that it's it's pretty obvious who won the round I think so it's a brilliant performance from Vera really like you know he stepped it up to a level I don't think uh, I thought he could we'll stick with the hot topics and on this Hot Topic episode, Sean and Jake Smith get together to have a conversation about Michael Chandler. Do you know what? I'm going to talk about Michael Chandler next because that, you know, this show is called Hot Topic and I feel like he was one of the Hot Topics of, of the weekend. Um, knockout of the year contender. Uh, an awesome first round as well, even though Tony Ferguson probably got the better of it, but it was very close. And then 
I think a lot of people are talking about Michael Chandler's run so far in the UFC and I, I just recorded the, the Q&A there earlier and I was, I was kind of talking to myself about it. He's 2-2 two and two in the UFC but I think if you ask people you'd say his UFC run has been fucking unbelievable because you know he beat Dan Hooker after getting uh, clipped a few times but then knocking Dan Hooker out. He went into that unbelievable fight against Charles Oliveira and just went to war with him won the first round and ended up getting clipped early in the second round. Pretty much the exact same thing happened in the Tony Ferguson fight. It was 19 seconds and 17 seconds. This time he came out in the winning side. But the Justin Gaethje fight was almost the most impressive, I think, because he fought Justin Gaethje's fight against Justin Gaethje. And kind of what I'm thinking about, I haven't talked about it on the podcast and everything, um, and broke down the fight and talked about Chandler. What I was thinking after the podcast was just about that run in general and how it seems to me, and I don't know whether you agree, Jack, or not, but he came over to the UFC with a set-out point in his mind mind to have exciting fights to be in an exciting run i said i think on the podcast like even to win uh bonuses to get an extra 50 grand to, to fight in a in a manner which would almost get ufc fans on his side quicker than they may have before with him being a bellator guy and maybe not known as much to, to certain ufc fans because you know a lot of people just don't watch bellator simply put even though they have some very very good fighters and i think he has achieved exactly what he wa- uh, wanted to achieve that promo as well afterwards it's just been fantastic what are, what are your thoughts being jakey on, on uh, michael chandler's run in the ufc so far yeah i'm gonna sound like a right dickhead if i'm wrong here but i'm sure you put a tweet out that night as well sean saying something similar along the lines of that of he's come into this purely on the thing of he's going to be in these exciting fights and he's exactly, going to deliver yeah. and yeah i mean you can't argue with it i mean you just ran through them four fights he's had so far here but I think any one of those fights now, you go UFC fan and you say, you just say the name, Michael Chandler. And no matter what fight it is that they've seen, even if it's only one of his four fights, they'll be like, oh, it was amazing. He was just in there. It was just like, it's such a fan-friendly style of fight. I mean, it's not a longevity-friendly style of fighting, but I think Michael Chandler knows what he's there to do. Like, the, the promo alone he cut after that fight on Saturday night, had so many people talking after that. Instantly, BT Sport clipped it up, firing out everywhere. He, Michael Chandler's got that it factor where he knows what it is, he knows what it takes, and he knows how to deliver it. He can do the talking on the mic, he can back it up in the cage, and even if he loses, you're still going to be saying Michael Chandler's name after a fight. And ultimately, for you to reach that level of stardom, then big paydays, which ultimately that is what it's about, He's doing the exact right thing. A hundred percent. I I think Dustin Poirier is the next fight. I know what you think because like uh, no, I would probably favor Poirier honestly to knock him out the way he has been fighting and the way uh, Poirier fights and the power he has. But like, I don't think you can get him in there against someone who isn't at that level right now in terms of not just levels of fame or levels in the, the rankings, but levels of like excitement. He needs to fight against these exciting fighters in these big fights. And the great thing about Michael Chandler as well is he's only fought four guys in the UFC. Like even looking down through his record in, um, uh, in Bellator, None of the guys, if I believe, I'm just still going through it here, yeah, nobody he has fought before that is in the UFC right now. And uh, that's exciting to me because sometimes you have, say, even like in Oliveira now, he's fought a good few guys or like uh, Volkanovski and Holloway and other people in, in the UFC. There's always the next guy and there's always a good matchup. But sometimes, you know, you fight the f- top three or four people in the division after 
you know, tight, fighting five or six on the way up, and you're like, oh, well, who else is kind of left? But for uh, Chandler, there's loads left. You know, whether it is Paria, whether it is Diaz, whether whether it is, you know, McGregor or Dariush or M- Makachev or whoever it might be. Like I was thinking about Makachev today. If that was a fight they were to put together, I think that's a fucking phenomenal fight because Makachev's wrestling uh, is obviously his his A plus. But look at Michael Chandler's wrestling. Look at the way he took down um, uh, Ferguson at the weekend. Now Ferguson isn't the best takedown. Uh, defense in the world but still he's very very good as well and if he can stop that shot and test McCatcha's wrestling that's an intriguing matchup for me as well so I'm a massive fan of Chandler what do you think is next for him what, what, what do you think they, they do with him do they keep putting him into these big exciting fights yeah I think they can't not yeah. <laughs> I mean I think it's the only way for him the, the one fight of course it started circulating and he's been calling for it pretty much since he joined the UFC as a man who spoke to the other fella himself just a few months ago there at Bellator backstage the Conor McGregor fight, Sean. What do you think of that as a comeback fight for Conor? I don't like it, to be, to be honest. Now, it's one of those fights, I, I actually, I mentioned the Q&A again. Someone said, uh, uh, Michael Chandler beats Conor McGregor. And the way I answered it was, I think if that fight is next for McGregor, you'd have to fancy Chandler. But I think if McGregor can get back, get a win or even get a performance or whatever it might be and get back to fitness and the next fight after that was a Chandler fight, I think it's a good favourable matchup for McGregor. Now, I just said about the wrestling, the offensive wrestling as well. Obviously, that'll be an issue but we also just talked about how Chandler has gone out there for wars and if he goes out there to have a war with Conor McGregor there is no harder hitting person in that division than McGregor I just said the exact same for Poirier he's such a hard hitting guy I would fancy Poirier to be Chandler and it'd probably be the same for if McGregor was at his best now is McGregor going to come back and be at his best that's probably a bigger question and that's maybe a no but it's an intriguing fight but I don't think it makes sense next next up will be our first installment of The Speaker's Corner this episode. And this episode is talking about the lack of corner stoppages and why that is in MMA. Today, the topic of conversation is about corners not saving their fighters. So... Mm. Very often, or maybe not very often, maybe that's a bit harsh. Often enough, we see fights where it is plainly obvious that one fighter is not going to win the fight. Maybe we're maybe it's a championship fight. We're three rounds in. They've been thoroughly dominated for 15 minutes. And it is evident that that fighter is not going to win that fight unless for something like a Hail Mary shot or an egregious mistake on, 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 on the part of the opponent. And very rarely do we see corners throw in the towel. The first thing that comes to my head, and I'm going to give you two fights and then I'm going to let you talk. The first question, the first fight is Raquel Pennington. Raquel Pennington versus Valentina Shoshenko. She's getting absolutely smashed to pieces. And the fourth and fifth round, the corners are saying, no, you can still go out there. You're a warrior. You're this, you're that, you're the next thing. She goes out and just gets beaten up more. The other side of that is Darren Elkins, Mersad Bektik. Darren Elkins took one of the worst beatings I've seen in a long time against Mersad Bektik and managed to come back and turn it around. So my question to you is, Based on those two points and ensuring and keeping trying to keep fighter safety at the prominence of our thoughts here, 
why do corners not throw in the towel and protect their fighters more? Well, the answer to that one, I think, is uh, past his prologue, really. Uh, it's a thing that's very, very rarely being seen or done in mixed martial arts. I, can you think of one? Like, I know the Nate Diaz's corner threw in the towel against Josh Thompson. Uh, I can't really think of another one. Now, throwing in the towel, I suppose, is different from stopping in the corner. We have seen a bit of that. But even then, I, you know, if I probably thought long and hard, you know, I could, I could think of one. And there's, there's, it is it is more common, but still maybe not common enough. Um, do you know what? Actually, uh, and this is kind of not necessarily devil's advocate, but it's it's the opposite of what I'm going to argue for in a second, maybe. Um, I think we've actually gone too far in wanting corners to throw in the towel and wanting corners to stop the fight. Um, sometimes we watch a fight, and I've even seen it recently, and it's hard to think of an example, but I, it's something I've been kind of thinking about. Um, we see someone who's, let's say, they're down four rounds in a title fight, and they've, look, they've four rounds of a title fight in their back pocket, you know, and they've lost all four rounds. And or you know two rounds of a three round fight or whatever, and they're down, and they have taken damage. You know they've taken a good bit of damage. Maybe they're cut, maybe they're hurt, maybe they're tired. And there's people like so. Well, stop it, stop it, come on, stop it. Like I think if you are to do a uh, you know throwing the towel or whatever you want to call it, do a stoppage in the corner. Um, I think you need to be badly, badly hurt and have no chance of winning. Or well, well. Not not necessarily. If you're badly, badly hurt, absolutely stop it. That that's enough reason. If you're even if you're ahead, if you're behind, it doesn't matter. But just to be a lot behind and throw in the towel, uh, and if they're hurt but not badly, badly hurt, I don't think that's. I don't think we should. I, that that's not the sport we're in. Look, we're in the hurt business. People are if they're four rounds in, they're going to be hurt. Like. If they're overwhelmingly badly hurt, absolutely. But if they have a few cuts, if they have a few bruises, if they're very, very tired, if you think in if the other person was in the same boat, right, or if they were winning, or if there's no scoreboard, would you put them back in there? Like, uh, you know, I, I think that's a, uh, okay to put them back in there. And that, like, so we we just sometimes we go too far. Maybe that's my point. Maybe I don't have any, a good example of it here. But we have recently been gone too far. Now. I think the reason, and it always happens in mixed martial arts, especially when there's people who don't think about the sport that much, um, you know, and you probably, people can probably guess who I'm talking about in a few different examples, but, we, you know, we see with judging, with open scoring and other things, it's like, oh, we need to do this and it should be there, and, I, I, you know, people go overboard with it, but it actually lessens some of the... Uh, reality of the conversation and reality of the problem because it's blown up too much. Now your initial thought on it, your initial question and the initial uh, topic, I suppose, people not stopping fights when they should be stopped. Let's, you know, take out the examples I gave there earlier on about where I think, you know, it's okay to leave a fight uh, go if a fight uh, is going the complete wrong way for a fighter in that they're either are badly hurt or, sorry, either badly hurt and it goes to the corner or they're way down and badly hurt and they go to the corner, they should be stopped, right? And, okay, the reason, as I said, it's not being stopped is because it's not a thing that has happened. But, there's, look, there are lots of different reasons why it isn't stopped as well. And wh- how do we change it? Not There are a few different reasons. And we have another podcast, I don't know whether it's out or, or coming out, it'll be out before this anyway, about uh, money and about wins and losses and everything. And that is a big issue. Like, if the two of you, know, if you were fighting and I, I was cornering you and I if I stop the fight after the second round, 
well, you might only get 12 grand and you would have got 24 grand if you'd win. And if you'd won, and then you'd be coming on and go, what the fuck did you stop that? I had an opportunity to win that fight in the third round. You're no longer my coach. Fuck you. You're gone. You cost me 12 grand. That is a big part of it. If we didn't have that win-loss thing, like in boxing, you know, where we see a lot of uh, corner stoppages and we see a lot of the towel thrown in, there's, you know... I, I would assume, I, I think I haven't heard about it, but there isn't as much like win-loss sort of thing. You get your pay packet, win or lose, and, and that's it. Um, if we had that, I think people would be more more willing to throw in the towel or more willing to stop it in the corner. Um, another big part of it is, and I actually think this is maybe not a bigger part of it, but uh, a massive issue as well, that fighters... Uh, and this is a lot, a lot to do with MMA retirements as well, right? Fighters are taught never to give up, right? And you have to in mixed martial arts. It's one of those sports. If, if you have quit in you, you're never going to get to a high level. You're Look, you might, with skill and with ability and all, you might be able to get to a UFC level or a Bellator level or, you know, the, the top of a cage wires or a CFFC level or something like that. But you will never get to a ranked UFC level. You will never be a UFC champion if you have quit on you. Never, right? And you're expecting people who don't have that quit in them to allow their corner to let them quit. We will move on now to, personally, some of my favourite episodes every month, and that is the Shawnee Podcast's Q&A. Do you have to do a Valentina versus Chukagin too, assuming uh, Valentina's beat Santos? First one wasn't close, but four wins in a row for Chukagin, kind of have to do it, no. Um, see, the problem with Chukagin is there is no selling that one and and i don't mean selling it in terms of pay-per-views or anything like that i mean terms and selling it in terms of a second fight we all know what's going to happen valentina's not going to lose chukagan now we all said that about pena as well anything can happen in mma but you know in general um unless she has a lot of wins now is four enough maybe it is in that division in a very very uh it, look, it's still a new division. I think it has gotten a lot better. The problem is the difference between one and two is gargantuan, and the difference between two and everyone else is seemingly pretty big as well, with some good people on the way up, obviously, who, uh, you know, um, Shukeng called Mano Firo out, which could be a good fight, and a few others as well. So it's definitely getting better, but there's still that big uh, jump from one to two and from two down at the moment. Now, I think the jump to get over Kaelin Shukagan is one that is probable, you know, in the next while. And the jump to get over Shevchenko is one that's impossible, almost, over the next while. But with that said, if no one takes that jump over Chukagan in the next two fights, uh, you have to give her another title shot. Unless... Valentina Shevchenko is gone now the reason Valentina Shevchenko could be gone is uh, if Amanda Nunes loses again to uh, Pena she could go up and fight her there or even if Amanda Nunes wins uh, there could be the trilogy between Pena but also could be the next fight between Shevchenko and Nunes depending on what happens so I think look it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Tyler Santos fight then to see what happens with Nunes and we'd probably be able to re- uh, reevaluate then after that uh, is that it from Smolkas? Dalton Sickney asks. Uh, he's super fun to watch, but two and four in his last six in a deep division. One more fight, maybe? Uh, look, the thing about Smolkas, he had the chance in the UFC. He went out, he got back in, he got the chance again. And look, we all know Smolkas is not good enough to be a UFC champion or to be a top, top fighter in the UFC. Um, and is he fun enough for to you know to keep his job? 
I would probably say yeah. I always I like a Lewis Smolka fight. And I was watching Lewis Smolka fight. So in my opinion, yeah. It, will it be the opinion of everyone in the UFC? Um, you know, when you can replace him with a 135 pounder, 125 pounder from the contender series for 10 grand? Probably not. Probably not. So yeah, I don't think he will. Uh, I don't think he will be back in the UFC. So we'll see. I hope I'm wrong because I, I want to see him fight again. But uh, True or false? Nate Diaz fights this summer. Um... Summer falls, but I think I think they'll get him a fight this year. So I'll go through. Uh, if year, well, false and true. I'm giving both answers there. Next one. Didn't know Bellator was on this weekend until I heard your betting show. Even then, couldn't watch the main card in Germany legally, and the prelims were on YouTube with an advert in the center of the screen. Do you think they will stay as the number two promotion for much longer when hardcore MMA fans don't even know their cards are on or how to watch them? Um. I understand exactly all your gripes here and I have the same gripes like this card was on Virgin Media 2 here in Ireland so it was okay uh, but the cards in like two weeks time they're going to be on Virgin Media Sport and now I had I actually someone the lads gave me a sign in to use Virgin Media Sport because you can't get it down here like I literally down here in West Limerick I cannot buy Virgin Media Sport I cannot get it so you know you have to have Virgin Media in the home or you have to have Virgin Media Broadband now you used to have to have Virgin Media Broadband now no more so you have to have Virgin Media TV and then you have to have Virgin Media Sport to be able to watch Bellator. There's about four people in the country have that, lads. Because anyone who gets Virgin Media Sport, all they have is fucking Champions League football. You might as well just get BT and it's cheaper. So it's, I'd say that it's just literally like old people that they go to their door, they don't know better and they end up giving them 120 quid a month and just ripping them off. Like That's what fucking Virgin Media Sport is basically. It's ridiculous. So, actually, if anyone is listening to this and you have a sign-in for Virgin Media Sport, can you please send it to me? DM it to me, please? Because I can't watch Bellator legally. Now, I'll say this because we're on this. Uh, If you have a VPN, it's on in... um Canada on YouTube so you just change your VPN to Canada and you can watch it there so that's the easiest way to do it now to get to the question um, I agree as I said again I agree with everything Chris said in that question there about the, and all the gripes and I have the same ones as I mentioned the problem is what promotion is going to step into the breach and become number two like is PFL going to do it no I don't think so um, is anyone else going to do it no I don't think so and look the main reason why people are not going to do it is there's too much UFC We don't. people don't have time to watch all the UFC never mind to watch a second promotion like if it wasn't my job here I wouldn't be watching and covering half of these Bellator cards do you know what because I'm kind of the, the I cover a lot of Bellator and PFL now for Sherlock I'm actually kind of slipping behind on the UFC a bit maybe although you know I'm I'm not necessarily but I'm not I'm not covering the UFC as well as I probably would if I wasn't covering Bellator and the PFL now I like covering Bellator and the PFL there's some good fights and there's some very good fighters there as well take nothing away but it's it's more a time thing I think than anything else and um although I agree with Chris's points I don't agree that they won't stay number two because I don't think uh, you know what it's I don't think a number two even exists anymore you know it's the UFC and then some hardcores tuning in to some other promotions that's basically it now if you're in Ireland and things and Bellator's coming here it's great and people are going to see it and everything but on TV and as a a Bellator fan uh, that's just not a thing next question here from Chris Murphy did you catch the Pat Barry interview on Ariel's show I actually saw a a tiny bit of it but we'll go to the rest of the question very bizarre interview Chris says basically blamed Rose's prior losses on her not sticking to the game plan but also credited her wins and not sticking to the game plan and then blamed her for sticking to the game plan in the Asparza fight time for her to get him out of her corner uh, I don't know like she has had Pat Barry out of her corner before and then brought him back in and then out again and back in. Um, 
the thing about Rose Namunas, right, it feels like she wants to get emotional coming into the fights. You know, with this stuff of roaring, I am the best, I am the best, I am the best. And if that's the thing you want to do and want to achieve, it's probably best off to have Pat Barry there making you emotional in the corner. But it feels like she wanted to fight a non-emotional fight in this one with her game plan being at the foremost of everything. Um, if that's the case, then why is Pat Barry there in the corner? Why is she roaring, I'm the best as she's coming out? That... I, th- I think you'd want a clear-headed kind of voice there. Now, I've, I- I'm not, I've no idea what it's like for a fighter. I've no idea what it's like, the mindset or anything like that. And as I said again, if the mindset is to be pumped up and to be emotional, to have your, uh, you know, your partner there and the person who's maybe going to make you emotional, it's probably, if that's what you want to achieve, it's probably a good thing. If it's not, if you want to do an all-out bore fest of a, a technical performance, then you probably shouldn't be there, no. Uh, there is also an unfortunate common team of MMA coaches having partners who are fighters and it usually ends up being a toxic relationship and we hear about it after the fact uh, how can fighters better protect themselves to not fall into these situations that's a question that's probably above my pay grade honestly I don't know and it's it's true there has been down, look there's some very good relationships as well don't get me wrong but it has been down through the years you know it's usually let's be honest here it's usually a younger female fighter and an older male coach and then they fall in together you know and there's there's some that people probably haven't even heard of and that are not great to be honest and um yeah they're they're others i suppose pretty common out there and yeah usually doesn't end well i don't know what you can do um to protect against it like if it's you know, a 25-year-old man, a 25-year-old woman, and one happens to be a coach, one happens to be a student coming up, like, you know, is there anything wrong with that? Or is it like a position of power thing again? As I said, this is above my prayer grade. Maybe this is a thing I get Philip O'Connor on in the future uh, to talk about when we do a Q&A or something. But I, I you know, I'm not going to lie. I don't have the answer for this one, but I can see is it seems to be a problem. It seems to be an issue in the sport. And, uh, yeah, look, the big issue here, myself and Harry have talked about it ad nauseum at this stage over in Speaker's Corner. Um, We have lots of issues in MMA, and all of them kind of stoke from the fact that we don't have a overseeing governing body at all parts of the sport. Like, something like that would never happen in, you know, let's say it's professional soccer or anything like that now it has happened in other sports we've seen with gymnastics and things like that but uh the w- a way to safeguard against it somewhat is to have like an overseeing body is to have background checks and everything like that uh no background checks won't stop a relationship happening but uh, i think you know if chris maybe is saying at times and i he maybe not chris is even saying it, but i uh people have kind of said at times there's kind of nefarious relationships going on that shouldn't be happening and maybe that's where a way to safeguard against them but yeah it um like sometimes in in MMA you have one coach and that's your coach and that's it. Uh, but in other sports you have one coach for this, one coach for that, one coach for another thing, and it's a team and everything. So yeah, it's a very different one and a difficult situation. And uh, there's no safeguards uh, against it, unfortunately. And I don't know what to do to safeguard against it. Next up, we have an excerpt from the contender with Ian O'Neill and Sean Sheehan discussing Conor McGregor's place at the 155 division and how he stacks up as a contender and let's talk about that first Ian because there's a big decision here to be made for the UFC and we'll forget about McGregor for a second we'll talk about McGregor as we go but what will the UFC do here like if your call was Dana White's call if you were matchmaker McGregor to bring him back where would you be putting him 
I would probably not match him uh, inside the top five of the division for a fight coming back. I think the interesting thing is, and you know, I try to look at it from UFC's point of view with a lot of other things and a lot of decisions they make and the matches that they make. Um, it's what do the UFC see McConnor Conor McGregor as now? Do they see them as this this cash making machine and do they want to put them in the big to put them in the big fights? Or do they see him as a guy who can come back in there and actually be a contender and, and do what we're going to be talking about on this podcast and compete at the very best? But you've got a slow roll, Connor, coming back off a broken leg. Um, not having had a win in, in, in years as well. He, he truly can't afford to go in there and take another loss in his next fight. He can't afford it. But I mean, if we're talking about it from a business sense of words, he's going to always be the money fight. But if he wants to build his legacy, if he wants to be the champion again, you're going to have to match him outside the top five or even the top 10 as well. I, you know, I, I mean, you have to give him a winnable fight. There's a couple of fighters that we'll talk about um, I'm sure that would be ideal matchups for me. Uh, but I keep him outside the top five, especially for his comeback fight. Do you know, uh, I agree with what you're saying. Um, and if we're looking at, uh, at this as a normal human being or as a normal sport, you'd say McGregor should be getting maybe an easier fight to get his way back into, a harder fight to get his way back into a hard, hard, hard fight. Um, the problem here, though, is, as you said, like, it's a business and if you're looking at it from the UFC's point of view, and I, I was just thinking there as you were talking, like, what is the prerequisite for a Conor McGregor fight when he comes back? If you're looking at it from Dana White's point of view, if you're looking at it from the UFC's point of view, and I think over anything else, it's money and it's what sells. And if they could put him in there against Habib for an interim title tomorrow, they'd fucking do it because they'd get three million buys and everyone would lap it up and they... It, if they could do that, they would do it. They wouldn't give a shit about McGregor's injury. They wouldn't give a shit about what happens next. They want to make all that money right now. Because you know what? And It was funny. I actually saw McGregor. There was a clip up of an interview he did the night I interviewed him with someone else. And he said he had only two fights left in his contract. And I, that's a, a very interesting thing as well. Because what, what are the UFC going to do with him? Because if they plan, let's say they do plan with McGregor, right? And they, get, and they say, okay, we're going to give you, you know, Dan Hooker in your next fight, and then we're going to give you Michael Chandler, right? What are they going to do then? Because he's out of contract then, and he's the number one contender in that division if he wins both of those fights. So planning him in that manner is also a thing that I think contractually doesn't make much sense for the UFC right now. And as I'll say it again with the prerequisite of the one thing the UFC need is to make money out of Conor McGregor. That is over himself, and that is over his health, and that is over the health of his career. Because McGregor said it himself a couple of years ago when he came back with that Cerrone fight that he wants to do the season to get back to his best. He needs one, two, three fights, build himself up. And at the end of the year, at the time, who was it, Habib? He wanted to fight him at the end of the year. That's what he needs to do now. Like That's what Conor McGregor needs to do to get back to his best, to do it right now. And the UFC will not facilitate that. And we know that. Because he tried to do it before and they wouldn't allow him to do it. He wanted to fight Diego Sanchez. He wanted to fight Rafael dos Sanchez. He wanted to stay busy and they wouldn't allow him to do it. Now, times have changed a little bit, but so is his contract situation with those two, two fights left, if what he says is correct himself. So I think the UFC are going to put him in there in, in a fight that, if they could find the fight right, that would build Conor McGregor up, be winnable, and get him loads of money. I think they'd do it. 
You know, the, the Cerrone fight was a perfect example at the time. That built him back up, got him a win. It wasn't the hardest fight in the world. And he's, you know, right back in there towards the top of the division. You the need someone is, like that. Uh, yeah, the on. problem uh, is with him as well. You have to put him in a main event as well. You can't have him on another yeah. card. You can't even have him on a co-main event right now. He's going to have to be in and fighting in a main event and in a five-round fight as well. Ideally, I'd like to see Connor come back and fight a three-round fight. Never mind a, a five-round fight, to be honest. As we start to wind up here, have a listen to Andy and Ian O'Neill talk about the Tony Ferguson knockout. Tony Ferguson. Uh, we watched him get punted across the octagon uh, into unconsciousness, unfortunately, last weekend uh, or two weekends ago now against Michael Chandler. So uh, Tony has kind of gone from being this mythical creature um, where, you know, you had that kind of unstoppable force versus the immovable object of Tony versus Khabib was that was kind of the vibe that we got from from that matchup not so long ago to this point where he's he's really fallen in his career and um, for, in visibly looks like he's aged, I'd say, about 10 years for, for my money. Where do you see him now as as a UFC lightweight fighter? You know, where does Tony go here? Um, what what are your thoughts? I guess first of all, uh, as as to where Tony is in his career right now. Um, my thoughts overall are like uh, the the kind of narrative that was set after his fight with Chandler was, you know, oh he was looking good in round one, or oh he won round one, and yeah he did, but at the end of the day, what happened in round two is what fucking happened, you know. He got got hit with a massive shot, and he went out, and we never seen him going out like that before, and we've seen that time and time again with other fighters. You know, I think back at remember saying and hearing other people saying that, you know, in a couple of Frankie Edgar fights, you know, Frankie Edgar, oh he was looking good until he got clipped. I remember one of my favorite fighters, Chuck Liddell, was the same. Even in his last fight against Rich Franklin, broke his arm. was looking really good in that fight. Got clipped with a small shot, got put out. I mean, your chin doesn't get better. Your chin only gets worse. And that's what I would worry about Tony Ferguson uh, and his future is I don't want to see him fighting top-level elite competition anymore. And I might contradict myself on who I might want to see him fighting next by saying that. But I don't think he has that mentality and it's the fighter's mentality. And, you know, I think I was, I was on a preview show. It was either Harry or Spencer said it, and it was a great statement uh, about Donald Cowboy Cerrone. He defines himself as a fighter. He doesn't know what he is if he's not fighting or he's not a fighter. And I think Tony Ferguson is the same. He defines himself by fighting and you can be delusional at sometimes. Um, you know, he's still talking about getting back to the title. He's still talking about fighting Charles Oliveira. I think that's not going to happen simply. And I think with Tony, this could be a trend. I think unless you put him in there with kind of easy matchups, easier matchups, but maybe guys that are not going to put him out. But the fucking lightweight division is killer's row right now. So mm. there's no real easy matchups in there for him. And, you know, yeah. where I'd like to see Tony right now is probably stepping away, but that's definitely not going to happen. So there's no point even talking about it. I mean, what's your opinion of it? Yeah, my, my heart broke a little bit when I saw that headline that Tony Ferguson, you know, rejects Charles Oliveira's uh, offer of, of training. Because it's like, oh, that's kind of like, that's exactly where, or, you know, that, that type of 
environment or, you know, training with a UFC champion who can maybe, you know, reinvigorate him a little bit or, or, or help him out or give him some looks, especially when Tony's been doing so much work alone. And to your point there about, you know, delusional was, was what was going in through my mind before you even said it there. So we're definitely on the same page and, and fighters, you know, they need to be a little bit delusional to an extent. You know, if you're, if you want to have that championship mentality and think, I'm going to go to the very top of the sport. You have to be a little bit delusional. You have to be so hyper-focused. But as you said, you know, the problem is when the reality doesn't match what's going on between your ears, that's when it gets dangerous. And that's where Tony, like Tony will always think in, you know, I think he'll always think he's, he's going to be the champion. Yeah, and, and it's fair for him to think that. Yeah. And a lot of fighters do think that, especially at this stage of their career. You see yourself, I think in some regards as, you know, someone like you kind of think of yourself as a fighter most of the time that, you know, that you're the guy who first walked into the gym and you're still hungry. You still have that hunger. But the fact of the matter is, is that you've taken a lot of damage through year through the years mm -hmm. and there's nothing you can do to kind of stop that happening or for you. Like, I mean, you said going and training with Charles. I mean, it would be great. He would get a couple of good looks. He might look fantastic. But what happens when he gets hit clean again? Yeah, you know See, what I mean. He can't train the chin. The only thing is, I know, like, and you're, you're, you are not alone. A lot of people are saying, "Geez, after that knockout, is this it?" I, I didn't have that reaction after the knockout. Too. I know it was so. Well, no, no, it it's was just, a big, it was a huge knockout. Like it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't a, it wasn't that he got barely touched with a jab or anything like that. It was a monstrous knockout. But I mean, that happened. Our penultimate clip is another visit to the Hot Topic podcast, where Graham and Ian O'Neill discuss judging. First one, we'll probably just kind of go over quickly because there's been a lot of talk about judging recently, but obviously there was another slightly controversial decision in the main event of the last UFC, Holly Holm and Caitlin Vieira. Uh, what were your thoughts on the whole kind of reaction and the judging and the fight itself, uh, judging-wise? Um. I think that the the reaction is a massive overreaction after this fight because, you know, like I said, myself and Sean talked about it on the podcast this week. It was a close fight. And sometimes when those close fights, uh, you know, well, some people will think one person will win, the other person will think another person will win, but there was no way near a robbery in that fight at all. Um, I think we checked the judges' scorecards and... I think there was only a differential of one round. To be a third honest. round. A third I think round, it's the only yeah. round really in dispute, uh, mm. looking around and talking, and in my opinion as well. So, yeah. What was your, how did you score the fight, and what do you think of the, what do you think of the reaction around it? I, I thought Holly Holm won the, won the fight, won three and five, but like, when you leave a round that close and you leave, you leave the third round as close as it is, it can go either way. I think if that decision had happened in isolation and there hadn't been the kind of controversy around the MVP getting, quote, robbed, which I actually do think he did, which is the first time I've said that in, a, in many a year, a fighter actually getting robbed in a, in a high-profile fight. Um, You know, I, I think if the MVP hadn't come, so MVP decision hadn't kind of annoyed people and come so quickly before this, I think maybe it would have just been... Uh, it was a close third round and Holly should have done more if she wanted, you know, but just because maybe, you know, emotion plays into it, maybe people had picked, you know, MVP or had bet on MVP, had bet on Holly home, things like that play into it as well. But even outside of that, I think just, just the fact that it's, it's kind of, 
people are disagreeing with the main event decision, strongly disagreeing with both in a row. I think I think the MVP definitely the MVP decision definitely plays into it in my opinion. Yeah, it's kind of happening each and every week now. We seem to be having the same discussion over and over again. Um, but especially after this week, I know I'm seeing a lot more movement. You had DC coming out saying that he's going to be uh, talk. He was had been talking to someone, and and he's seen it in a different kind of a light now. And all Laura Sanko has been saying the same. Um, I think like that's definitely a move in the right direction. That's a positive move because. Most of the confusion, most of the drama is coming from misinformation from the broadcast right now. And when they're saying one thing and the judges are saying another and they're not they're not knowledgeable enough to, to either side with the judges or to know why a judge has scored a fight a certain way. And it's becoming a massive problem. It's like, you know, I don't like to compare other sports, but if we were watching soccer or something like that and the two commentators having a fucking clue what's going on in the game, you know, it's going to confuse the wow. audience. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes that does happen too doesn't it yeah absolutely like it's definitely not an MMA uh, exclusive thing but I do agree that certain fights like um, the MVP fight with John McCarthy just kind of really badly scoring it and people see somebody like a John McCarthy in a different light than most commentators where they see him as kind of an authority somebody who was involved in like writing the criteria and writing the rules of like MMA and a guy who's been around since you know uh, very early stages and people probably kind of who aren't really v- very up and knowledgeable about rule changes and what the actual criteria is for judging and things like that you know uh, people people just kind of assume that John McCarthy knows what he's talking about but when you have you know you mentioned Daniel Cormier there and we've we've seen him talk so many times over the years about how a takedown is going to steal around and so, and things like that and it's it's hard for people who aren't you know uh, really hardcore fans and you know I'm I'm not a like I watch NFL but I'm not analyzing the rule book you know to <laughs> sometimes I'm just gonna have to trust that you know sometimes there's a fucking obvious uh, pass interference or something I can see that stuff but when it gets down to the nitty gritty unless you're a really big fan you can't be expected to know all that stuff and you kind of need your commentators you need the professionals to be the ones to guide you and they've been misguiding people I think that's a big problem. Finally, we'll take a last visit to the Speaker's Corner, where Sean and I discuss the exploitation of fighters and defending MMA. Let's dive in. So, the most important part of MMA, as we, you, Spencer, almost everyone at Zero MMA always says, is the most important part of MMA is the fighters. Always has been and always will be. Without the fighters... There is no MMA, there is no severe MMA, there is no MMA fighting, there is no MMA junkie, there's no the UFC, nothing. So the question we're posing today, or at least I'm posing to you, is the fighters are the most poorly looked after product in MMA. The fighters don't have health insurance, the pay is you know, pretty horrendous. The fighters are forced to take fights at times. Camps are hard. And then the actual fighting and the injuries and everything that comes to it. We, as MMA media, you know, conversations, like you've just said at the start, you congratulated me on the new podcast. We're always creating brand new content to cover MMA in different ways. 
And yet the fighters are still marginalized, still discriminated against, and still not looked after. How do we as fans, as media members, how do we arbiter that decision and that dichotomy in our heads? It's uh, the question in MMA, you know, it's the question for, uh, you know, since 1993, I suppose, but especially in the modern era of MMA, because, you know, the world is changing, as we all know, and uh, we were thinking about things a lot more and thinking about things in a deeper way. and. I think if you're not doing that with MMA, you're doing it in, in the wrong way. You know, um, obviously, how many, seven or eight years ago, everyone covering Irish MMA was put in the position where we have to kind of defend the sport, right? And even back then, I was never that comfortable with that defense of the sport. Now, there are some reasons why I was comfortable, but other reasons why I wasn't. Uh, the reason, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll put it out to you first, the reason why I was comfortable kind of defending MMA as a sport. Um, I feel like, you know, and Ireland maybe at the time didn't have it, but it has improved now. Uh, and worldwide, especially with the UFC and with Bellator and stuff, you know, they have medical people on hand. If anything was to ever go wrong, they, they do checks beforehand. Uh, they have a referee there, and I think that's the most important part. Even, you know, sometimes we have a late stoppage and it's very bad or an early stoppage. But the, the point of the referee to the, is to, to stop anarchy, to stop the madness. You know, we have the rounds, we have the judges, we have the... Uh, you know, the, the gloves and everything like that you can, you know, argue whether the gloves are a good or a bad thing, but we have that. And it's not anarchy. And, you know, I always, I, I talked on a recent podcast. I think, I don't know if it was, I think it was with you, but about like violence and the word violence being used in MMA. And I'm not too being that comfortable with it because I feel like violence is something to do with illegality and with anarchy. Whereas in MMA, we saw two people signing the dotted line. They know what they're doing. They go in there and there is a referee to stop it from going too far. So to be okay with it is to understand that there are things that make the sport safer possibly than it looks. It's never going to be the utmost level of safety but there you go and that's you know and they're getting paid as well is a, is a big part of it we can argue in a second about it whether they're getting paid enough we all know whether they're not but they are getting paid they are signing on the dotted line they are highly trained they are highly skilled there is safety measures in place and all of that so at the base level of the sport to to uh you know okay it in our brains to okay it as a society all of those things, and I'm sure I could name 10 more things, or someone smarter than me could name 20 more things that lead into that. The reason when I was doing all those shows, and more so even these days, if people want to uh, um, get me to defend MMA, or sometimes, sometimes people who hate MMA ask people who love MMA to defend MMA. Whereas I think the people who love MMA are actually more critical of MMA than people who hate MMA because we want it to be better. We see the issues, we understand the issues, we know the issues, and we want it to improve so our beautiful sport can remain the way it is. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's your lot for this month. Thanks so much for listening, as always. If you can, please sign up to the Patreon support the Severe MMA crew. We're only able to do the independent media coverage of the beautiful sport that we love with your help. So please sign up. It's the price of a pint. Thanks so much and see you next month.